Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk here on Biz News Radio. I'm Felicity Duncan and with me, Alec Hug. Alec, you're uh, on the line there from South Africa. You're, you're in the middle of a visit and uh, you had a big, long flight yesterday. Uh, and uh, I believe you, you did a little checking before you got on that plane to make sure it was, uh, was not a Boeing 737 MAX, which uh, is something a lot of people have been doing and a lot of people refusing to fly on those aircraft. And now, of course, they are grounded worldwide. But we, we saw the U.S. holding out on the grounding for several days. China was the first mover there. They grounded the planes at the beginning of the week saying, oh, this, this crash in Ethiopia looks too similar to what happened on Lion Air. A number of nations followed suit. And now finally, the Americans have also yanked their, uh, these flight, uh, planes from the sky, but uh, not very well handled by Boeing, I would say. Well, Boeing is in a very tough situation because I guess whatever they say now could expose them to some pretty hefty lawsuits. Well, first of all, when, when planes go down, Boeing ends up paying. Somebody ends up paying, either them or their insurers. So there is already a, a considerable liability that, that has to be calculated by the, uh, the lawyers. But on this one, it's an interesting story, Felicity. What we understand so far is that the, there is something in the, in, in the new MAX which a pilot has to understand, has to be trained – to override the system on a uh, on, on something that the system would do automatically, and have the pilots been trained or not, and whose responsibility is it for the pilots to have been trained in the system? And if it is that important, as we now know, that if the pilots don't know how to override the nosedive, uh, that you actually crash the plane, then surely there should have been a lot more care taken. That's those are those are really the issues that are that are swirling around. Boeing tried its utmost to ensure that the new Max plane, although it was quite an upgrade on the previous 737, was uh, marketed as the same, same, same. Don't worry, it's your guys will be able to fly it in the same way in the past. But they did move the engines forward quite a lot, and that has caused a lot of re-engineering, and as a consequence of that. Uh, there, there were things that were included in the uh, in the management or the flying of the new plane that appear not to have been well communicated to the pilots. I'm sure today every pilot of a 737 Max knows 100% um, how to get out of the nosedive, how to override the system, because the pilots don't want to die. Um, but in this case, uh, clearly Lion Air and then Ethiopia Air, the, the pilots there. Uh, hadn't been trained properly. It just that's what it appears to be. Well, we'll only know in time, but that seems the most logical explanation. Not least that the Ethiopia or the Ethiopia Airlines pilot had only been flying this plane since November. The new planes. So, if you haven't had the right training, well, tragedies occur. Yeah, I was reading a bit about it. So it seems like from some of the uh, information I've been reading on our partner site, the Wall Street Journal. One of the problems is that the the system in question was relying on one single sensor in the nose. And if it was getting bad information from that sensor, it would push the nose down. And then, as you correctly said, then the pilot would need to, um, you know, manually override Override. this and keep it going. Um, And uh, I was saw quotes from a number of engineers and actually my father, who's also an engineer, 
so this is a puzzling design decision because with uh, something like a system like that, you really want to build in, um, well, what's the word now? Like fail safes. You, you, you really need it to be, uh, it can't be the case that there's just one sensor and if that goes wrong, then the whole plane goes down, right? You need it. To, uh, you need a bit of uh, flexibility in the system. So if one sensor doesn't work, then the other. So there are some questions, I think, around the design choices that Boeing made when they, you know, added on the, the heavier engines and all the rest of it. Um, but, you know, as you said quite correctly, of course, there's also the question of enough, is there enough pilot training happening? Um, I don't think uh, that, mm. yes, yeah, sorry, what, what the, the big, the big story for me here is the way that public opinion has swayed what would otherwise have been uh, something that, that perhaps the world would have, would have shrugged off and continued with. The, the outrage that has been shown all over the world at the fact that airlines continue to fly 737 MAXs, the speed with which the information was distributed to the population. And despite uh, here in South Africa, Comair initially said they would continue to fly the planes because they are fine. Uh, but in the same day that, that, that they put that statement out, they had to recant and say they grounded them. It's a similar thing now with the United States having a few days or managed to uh, remember the crash was on Sunday and now they have grounded what's today, Thursday. They've now finally also grounded all the 737 maxes. But the reason there was that the trade unions of the airline stewards were saying, hang on a minute, we're not prepared to get onto these planes. The pilots hadn't said anything yet, but you could be sure they would also have been joining in. So it is a, a, a public opinion that, that is, a, a reflective of the community of the information age, and it's reflective of the shift in power from the big corporates and uh, those who they lobby in government, big government, and the public. And the public actually, uh, it, there are many instances of this, but uh, this is another reflection in, of how the public really is starting to to uh, to, to sway the, the sway what happens in the real world now. Whereas in the past, the public was ignored. Uh, that isn't the case anymore. Well, let's hope that the public is not ignored in South Africa in light of some recent news that has broken with the revelation of the ANC's lists. Now, this is something I know that you have um, some strong feelings on. There are a lot of names on those lists that you might call the usual suspects, um, the, the, the people that we have seen time and again in the headlines for all the wrong reasons are now uh, appearing on the election lists this year ahead of the May election. It's extraordinary. And you have to try and understand why the ANC would put someone like David Matlobo, who has been named as spying illegally on 38 people, including the chief justice. How does he get onto the list in the top 30? Or uh, Mokonyani, the environment minister, who was named by a greasy in the Zondo Commission with evidence of how her family were for many years given hundreds of thousands of rands of Christmas uh, catering facilities, and yet they're both on the list. So I guess we're looking at Cyril Ramaphosa as a, as a new broom sweeping clean, but in politics, it isn't absolute. And I guess what must be going on here is that there is a little bit like when you're in a corporation – and somebody has been suspected of 
a um, of a misdeed, but they haven't yet been disciplined for it or they haven't been found guilty for it. And so in those cases, usually people actually resign and leave. Uh, in politics, it doesn't work like that. Malusi Gagaba is on the list in the in the top 20. And you'd think, has the man no shame uh, that he would continue to agree to put himself up for election after uh, some of the crazy things that have happened there? And there are a lot of, uh, a lot, I won't say a lot, but there are a number of others that have got huge question marks against them. Perhaps, and this is the only thing that I can assume, uh, that the ANC is saying they are innocent until proven guilty. The members of the ANC are perhaps not that well informed yet. They haven't been following the Agrizi Commission or uh, what's been going on with SSA, uh, State Security Agency, etc. And that they were put forward by various branches who, who either uh, haven't understood this yet or refuse to believe the truth. And as a consequence of that, they are, they, their names appear on the list, but I think it's going to cost the ANC very dearly. At this point, the ANC is already on the back foot because of all the corruption and the uh, information that's coming out. And we've discussed this before. It's a high-risk approach that Ramaphosa is following. Would you now honestly vote David Matlobo into parliament or Malusi Kigaba into parliament or uh, as a as a rational human being, Mokonyani into Parliament. I guess there are a lot of people who would have given the ANC their vote, those rational voters, perhaps they're only swing voters, but who would be having second thoughts now and going for opposition parties. So it's going to be uh, the list is all important. Because remember, those are the people, if you vote for that political party, those are the people you're putting into Parliament. And the EFF has, has been getting a lot of support in South Africa for the young and vibrant names and individuals that it's put onto its list. So that's, that's an interesting uh, difference. The ANC seems to be more of the same. Uh, caters who uh, some of them have, have already been uh, pointed out to have, uh, have done some very bad things uh, to the country, whereas the EFF has gone for a uh, a young, fresh, bright uh, group. Uh, this could sway voters in that respect. It's a very interesting point that when you, before you have your vote in this most critical of elections, you will no longer, or many people perhaps will no longer, the rational people will no longer say, well, look, you know, Ramaphosa, as we said last week, this is a vote for him to, to clean up everything, clean up house. Um, is it really a vote? for him to do that now that some of those on the list are obviously implicated in the plunder? I don't think so. I think they're going to lose a lot of votes that they would otherwise have got as a consequence of some of the names there. That's interesting. And I think, you know, it will be a real test of South Africa's political maturity to see what how voters respond to this list. I mean, all the information is in the public domain. There's no... Um, hiding it, there's no putting it uh, in the back. You know, everybody who has seen a TV or read a newspaper knows that this is what's happening, there's commissions of inquiry, so it's not a secret. And I think seeing how South African voters are going to respond to this and what they're going to do with this list, you know, given what we know now and given what is widely known now, is going to be a real um, 
a real insight into how politically mature South African voters are. I know you had been concerned about um, some people of, of rather lower sign-ups uh, for uh, people registering to vote. Um, and that, I think, is also a bit of a commentary on this type of thing. Is it, you know, is this a sign of a, a maturing democracy, or will you? Is this a bad sign? What does it mean? So I think that this is a, a very different kind of an election, and a very interesting one. The mood is very down in South Africa at the moment. Not surprisingly, because the uh, the economy is—I won't say it's on its knees—but confidence is very low. And as a consequence of that, uh, people are maybe going to be staying away from the polls. And that is the worst thing that could happen for the ANC. The ANC needs a big turnout. It needs the this vote of confidence in the future. And it needs the support that it wasn't getting at the municipal elections. If you think of a name like Mosa Benzizwani, who has been completely implicated as a, as a Zuptoid and somebody who is – who strong-armed uh, Glencore to give the optimum coal mine to the Guptas, he's on the list. And you've got to ask yourself, well, hang on a minute, you know, if I am a member of the ANC, am I going to support this individual? Am I going to rather not vote for the opposition but just stay away, which in essence is like voting for the opposition. Remember, in the South African political system, we have proportional representation, which means every vote counts, which is a great thing. But on the other hand, if people don't go, don't vote, if the vote doesn't come out, that also counts. This is going to be a very interesting election on the, on the 8th of May, and we could see some significant surprises, particularly after the, uh, the names that are on the list. I would have thought Felicity within the ANC, and they say that they've had uh, Ace Magushulu is quoted all over the place here in the newspapers saying that he did, uh, they did have some tough conversations with people who are implicated in corruption and they got them to step down off the list. But there's still too many who are of the big names who are on, who are right up there and, and uh, very prominent on the list. And just for those who don't understand or not fully aware of this, what happens is that each political party, because we have proportional representation, they will give a list of candidates. And if they, for instance, if the ANC were to get 50% of the vote, then the top 200 on their list, because there's 400 members of parliament, the top 200 on their list would go to parliament. They would go in. Um, so where you appear on the list is very important because it depends whether or not you're going to be getting a seat eventually. These people that we've mentioned appear very high on the list, which means they will be sent back to parliament next year. So they have clearly taken the view that uh, they're going to try and brazen it out. That's all we have time for this week. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a transcript of this interview, one is available at biznews.com in our premium section. Remember, you can sign up for premium just £5 a month to get access to all our great content and full digital access to the Wall Street Journal.